You're listening to Orange County's only station with critical business information, Critical Mass, with your host, Rick Ranzi. And welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays at 4 p.m., heard exclusively here on Internet Radio Station, octalkradio.net. If you're listening to this program as a podcast, we can ensure you consider listening to the show live during our broadcast time. The show is brought to you by our commercial sponsors, Succession Strategies, Commerce National Bank, Smart Business Magazine, and our newest sponsor, Smart Stop Self Storage. The goal for this show is to help you, listening audience, make better business decisions. I'd like to turn our attention to our first guest today, Robert Saunders. He is the founder of College Storage and Student Services. Robert, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Rick, for having me on. It's really a pleasure to be here and to, to talk with you. Well, let's begin the conversation simply. Tell us a little bit about your professional experience and your background, sort of your path to college storage and student services. Well, I was, I was with Southern California Edison for several years, so I was in a corporate environment. But while I was doing that, my father always owned businesses. I worked with my dad off and on throughout my college career and then into my adult life always had a desire to do something on my own, but I stuck with Southern California Edison for several years. Fast forward, the opportunity came, um, came forward to, we had, we talked with some folks who were talking about challenges they were having with um, their students going to school. And so did a little bit of research and found that it was an opportunity to start a business. I retired from Southern California Edison and have started the business, and it has been going very well. Let's talk about the business. Tell the audience, what does college storage and student services do? And if you could help understand, what makes you different in the market space? College storage and student services provides summer storage services for students living on and off campuses. We also have a sister company, College Living 101, that provides housewares to students who live in apartments, whether they be on campus or off campus. A student, when they need to move out of their dorm or their apartment for the summer, specifically more for the dorm, we provide all the moving supplies they need. They sign up to our website. We show up on their move-out day that they've selected, pick up all their boxes, put them into storage, or if they're going to go study abroad, we'll hold their items until they return. With the moving supplies, those are all delivered. They tell us what they need, and then we show up again on that date to pick up all their stuff. With our College Living 101, we have houseware packages for those students who are living in apartments on or off campus. Kitchen packages, bedding packages, and bathroom packages have been put together that are specifically focused on the college student who is in need of those types of items. It prevents the parent from having to drive around trying to find different retail locations where they can purchase dishes, pots and pans, and so on and so forth. We put them together in a package with College Living 101 and deliver them to the apartment or uh, on campus or off campus. That is an interesting niche and business model. We're going to come back to that uh, in a few minutes here on Critical Mass radio show with Robert Saunders, who is the founder of College Storage and Student Services. 
But before we get there, Robert, I guess I want to ask you a bit about your belief system. In other words, do you have a guiding principle that you're using as you're building and growing your firm? Yes, we do. And our, gui- our guiding principle, if you will, is to provide not only the best service that we can, but do it with a passion. Putting the serve in service is really what we're at, all about. We want to provide personal storage and shipping solutions so students can focus on going to college, not moving to college. That's really the premise of what we're all about, making that transition onto campus. We know that it's a challenge for parents. It's often a stressful time for parents and students. And if we can remove that stress from their plate, that's what we want to do. That is a stressful time. I'm old enough to have children who are either through college or in the midst of college, and I'm intrigued by your uh, value proposition. And We're going to take our first commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show, and we come back with Robert Saunders, who is founder of College Stories and Student Services. I'm going to ask him a little bit about differentiating his firm from other storage firms and companies. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for our interview here on Critical Mass Radio Show. But first, listen to these words from our commercial sponsors. I got stuff to the right, more stuff to the left. Got enough stuff, but I can't take a step. So I smart stopped. It took a minute to think. I need a little better spot, not under the sink. With Smart Stop, I leave the stress at the door. Cause it's the smarter way to store. Smart Stop bucks the system. Your first month's rent is just a buck. Your next three months are half off. Call 888-97-STORAGE and mention this station. Goodbye clutter, hello floors. Smart Stop, the smarter way to store. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Our guest today is Robert Saunders, who is the founder of College Storage and Student Services. Before the break, I said we were going to delve into a little bit more on how he's differentiating from other storage unit companies. Can you give our audience, since you are focused on this niche, what is it that is making you different than a storage unit company? College Storage and Student Services, we provide the service of going to the student's room and providing personal pickup service. So when the student is there and has packed up everything, they uh, hand off the boxes to us and we take them to storage. We scan all their boxes. It's kind of like a tracking system, if you will, so the students know where their boxes are at all times. With a storage service, with a storage facility, 
typically the student or the parent has to rent a truck, go pay for the gasoline, pay for the insurance on the truck, go to the college, hopefully find a parking space. As you can recall, perhaps whenever you were moving out or if you've moved out, um, your student recently, it's a, it's a madhouse trying to far, find a parking space. So finding that parking space, trying to get, um, get up to the dorm room, waiting in the elevator lines, or climbing stairs because some dorms do not have elevators. They have uh, just stairs. And so college storage and student services will come to the room, pick everything up, and eliminate all that, all that the student has to go through with the truck rental and then loading up the truck or loading up the car and then taking everything to a storage, putting everything onto a plane or whatever they're going to do. So College Storage and Student Services provides a personal service in that we have the hands-on and the connection with, with the student or with the parent when they're ready to move out. Robert, where, where do you service? What colleges are you servicing? Is it in California only? Is it across the country? Tell us a little bit more about that. College Storage and Student Services has, is currently serving colleges such as UCLA, Pepperdine University, um, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, Scripps College, which is a Claremont College, and we're also serving Westmont College. We're, this year we're moving north into, into Northern California and going south into San Diego. So we're really going to be servicing about 28 campuses throughout California. We have plans to grow. So next year, next academic year, we certainly will be expanding into other states. So you mentioned calling Living One and 101 before. So I'm, ask, I'm going to ask you, how, how has teaming up with College Living 101 helped you grow your firm? It helps us become a full service for the college student. So the student says, I am going to be going to a college and I need to have housewares and you are going to be delivering my items to my dorm room so College Storage and Student Services and College Living 101 work together to make sure that when all the items from storage are delivered and any bedding packages or any houseware packages or any uh, kitchen packages that they have ordered from College Living 101 get delivered at the same time their items are delivered from storage. Or if they decide to do shipping, we will ship all their items along with College Living 101 housewares that they have ordered. We currently are working with UCLA's DASHU Center, and it's the DASHU Center for International Students and Scholars. And what that, current, what that is, international students, before they come into the United States, have an apartment waiting for them full with furnishings and also with housewares. So the international student basically just has to show up. If they ship luggage to us or they ship boxes to us, we do complete um, white glove service for those apartment housewares before the students even get in. We put the dishes away. We put the pots and pans away. We bring any items that they have shipped to us, and we put it into the apartment before the student arrives, that international student. So College Living 101 truly is a complement to college storage and student services, and vice versa. So if a student orders items from College Living 101, we can also, they can also use our shipping and storage services as well. So how does your revenue model work? How, how do you derive revenues off of your services? What we do is the students pay for a box kit, and they order a box kit, and so that is 
part of that. Also, when the student pays for the shipping, they pay for the um, storage, those are all revenue uh, centers that we that help us grow the, that, that piece of it. And with College Living 101, it's the online retail of dorm bedding, pa- I'm sorry, dorm bedding packages uh, or just apartment bedding packages to College Living 101 and college, uh, I'm sorry, kitchen packages as well and bathroom packages. So the revenue model is strong in that we are doing very well in generating revenues through storage and shipping. Excellent. Final question for you, other than how do people find you online, which we'll get to next, but before we get there, help me to understand what the current challenges you're facing in growing and scaling the firm. One of the big challenges has been um, locating different companies that can help us expand into other markets. And what I mean by that are whether it be moving companies or logistics companies in other cities to help us scale up to what we need to do and service those students whenever we are ready to expand. That has been one of the biggest challenges and that we have faced. We've overcome those challenges and we're doing quite well with it, but making those initial contacts for logistic companies or moving companies to actually go and help us service students at different campuses has been probably one of the biggest things, but we've, we've done quite well with it. That's part of your unique differentiator as well, having those relationships. So it would make sense that that might be an initial challenge because you're doing something unique and different in the marketplace. As far as I can tell, I'm not familiar, Robert, with another firm that specializes in the niche that college storage and student services services. Yeah, and there really isn't. And having the housewares part of it is makes it also unique. We also are looking to work with uh, property managers who have portfolios of apartments around college campuses. We want to service, provide a value-added service to those property managers who are serving college students in, in, when they live in the apartments. So that is a, that's one area that we're looking, really looking to connect with and to grow with is, is property managers who have portfolios around colleges. Excellent. If someone would like to learn more about college storage and student services, how do they find you online? CollegeStorageServices.com is our website. Info at College Storage Services is how they can get in contact with me directly. If someone would like to connect with me um, offline, uh, they can also shoot me an email to the info at College Storage Services, and I'll get back to them right away. And if there's any businesses out there that, are, that have uh, warehouse space, we certainly would like to talk with those folks as well and uh, have a business-to-business relationship. Okay, that makes sense. Well, maybe there are some business owners out in Orange County or Southern California who have some extra space, and maybe there's a relationship you can set up with them, too. Thank you for mentioning that, Robert. I appreciate you being a guest on the program. Thanks for describing your business, continued success, and thanks for being a friend of our program here at Critical Mass Radio Show. Well, thank you, Rick. We appreciate the opportunity to share and and talk with you. CollegeStorageAndStudentServices.com. Look us up and check us out. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Robert was our first guest. Dan Lubeck, of, he is CEO of Solus Capital Partners, will be our second guest here on the radio program, and we'll be with him as soon as we return from these commercial breaks. 
The Orange County Business Journal has ranked Commerce National Bank the 26th fastest-growing public company in Orange County, and they remain a Bauer Financial five-star institution. President and CEO Mark Simmons attributes the success to how well the bank treats its customers and employees. Commerce National Bank simply delivers personal service at a higher level than its competitors, while offering technology on par with the big banks. If your organization could use a new business bank, call Mary Miller, Senior Vice President, at 949-870-3863 or visit them online at www.commercenatbank.com. That's commercenatbank.com. Give Commerce National a chance to do better than your bank, and they will handle the rest. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. There's something happening out there today. All across America, we're seeing encouraging signs of economic recovery. Businesses are once again thinking about new growth, and new opportunities are emerging. But it raises the question, is your company positioned to take full advantage of the economic recovery and the opportunities it presents? Maybe it's time to ask, how has the recession impacted your business model? Is your business as relevant as it once was? Should you consider entering new markets or expanding into new categories? And what do customers really value about their relationship with you? The golden thread through all these questions and the answer to each and every one of them can be found in just one place. Your brand. It's much deeper than your logo and much bigger than your advertising. Your brand is the enabler of your entire business strategy. Rikas Baird is a brand strategy firm that can help. They specialize in business branding. They've helped hundreds of companies from startups to Fortune 500 leverage their brands to drive growth. They can do the same for yours. It's really quite simple. Find out more, just visit brandingbusiness.com That's www.brandingbusiness.com And plant the seed for economic growth. 
Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. I just want to thank all of you that are listening to the program today live and also those of you that listen and download our show. In the last 30 days, we've had over 7,700 downloads of the various programs that we air here live on octalkradio.net. We're averaging about 19,000 visitors to our site over the past 30 days as well. And that's about 637 people every day go to our podcasting sites, either through Apple iTunes, Stitcher, or one of the other podcasting services that we use. And we continue to grow our reach and expand our audience. And we thank you for spending time with us each and every week here on Critical Mass Radio Show. All right, let's turn our attention to our second guest, Dan Lubeck, who is CEO of Solus Capital Partners. Dan, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I appreciate being on the program. Let's talk about your professional background a little bit. Tell us about your history and sort of your background, Dan. My background, going back to my start, is I was a attorney at Paul Hastings and Manat Phelps. I then started a law firm in Orange County, and a year after that I met my first partner in leverage buyout, and uh, we founded a firm called Unique Investment Corporation, and that was over 20 years ago. I, uh, unique, we had a great run together and then took about a year and a quarter off and, uh, started Solus Capital Partners, which has now been around for over a decade. Solus is a lower middle market focused private equity fund. We're based in Southern California and our investments are typically Western United States with a focus on California. And, uh, that's what we do. Can you help give me a sense, and maybe our audience, for defining the term lower middle market? That's a great question. Uh, It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but in general, it's companies at the small end of the market. For us, that means companies typically of 15 to 70 million in revenue. Uh, So it's generally divided divided by size. It can also be by EBITDA, uh, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, which is a measure that that financial and strategic buyers use most of the time. And lower middle market in that case is usually one to five or six million in EBITDA. And do you look at any certain sectors, industries? How do you make those decisions, Dan? We, uh, we are industry agnostic. For us, it's not as important what the company does. It's, for us, it's much more important who is leading the company and what their vision is and whether we're helping them resolve a problem and otherwise helping them achieve their strategic plan and vision by making the investment. Um, there are firms that, that do specialize in different industry silos, uh, typically, those are firms that invest in bigger companies. What we've found, uh, and we really, this is a, a core to the way we invest, is that leadership is the most important decision we make. And so what we've found in the lower middle market is if we spend our time finding and learning more about great leaders of companies with a lot of potential, that at the end of the day, um, that's that's our way of investing, and, and it's been a very successful way for us to invest for now over 20 years for me. That's interesting because I work with CEOs and business owners here in Southern California as well, and I um, 
I believe that the leader has a disproportionate, and the leadership team has a disproportionate influence on the performance of the company. And certainly in the size range that you're talking about, that is really critical, the type of people that are running the company, and can they scale it and grow it? So I'm glad to hear you say that, that you're investing in the leaders. So it's a very yeah, powerful no, you, thought. Dan. You philosophically would fit right on our team. And, it's, and, you know, it's even more about skill set as well, you know, to uh, – a company will evolve with a leader, and often we view all of the investing we do really as partnering, uh, irrespective of how much of a company we're actually acquiring in the transaction. Uh, we will actually even do 50-50 transactions with entrepreneur and, and family business owners, which is fairly unusual. But when we look at leaders, we not only look at their skills, which obviously are very important, but we look at do they do they – are they introspective? Do they recognize where their strengths are and where their weaknesses are? Um, are they looking for help in evolving and growing their company and growing their management team? And so those are the type of leaders that we typically look to partner with and, and quite frankly, the type of leaders that we've had great success with in the past. Uh, those are the type of leaders that I believe you can work with very effectively as well because they're open to suggestion and ideas and improving. And, and I applaud you for helping those people, Dan. Thank you. You know, it's, uh, there's a lot of different ways to invest, and for us, investing is not simply about putting money in a company. Investing is, as you and I have talked about and, and clearly are of like minds about, it's finding great leaders and great leadership teams and then supporting them in any way we can. You know, we have the benefit of having a tremendous resources that we can bring to the table to assist our leadership teams uh, and and do so in every investment. Uh, you know, each investment has its own nuances, but it's a lot of fun and, and very interesting and very exciting to, to help great entrepreneurs and great uh, uh, family business owners really realize the vision and, and realize the potential of their businesses. Dan, I'd like to change our focus a little bit because I remember back to an issue of Smart Business Magazine, which is a publication that supports the radio program, so in the full spirit of full disclosure. But I came across an article that you authored on how business owners can value or determine their firm's value. And so I wanted to ask you if you could just maybe hit the highlights or share a little bit about your philosophy and what you wrote about in that article that was in Smart Business Magazine. Okay, sure. Well, at the end of the day, the majority of, of investors or buyers of a company are looking at the company's cash flow. So the most common metric that you hear talked about is the one that I mentioned earlier in our conversation, which is EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So the, there's a, a few general axioms that that I'm going to share with you that they're not absolutes, but they're definitely uh, more often true than not. One is the higher the EBITDA, the higher the multiple. So companies, there's some real clear breakpoints. If up to five million, you know, let's say that the typical EBITDA, uh, multiple of EBITDA range for a value, which means that a buyer will value a company at you know, blank times their trailing 12 months EBITDA. So for a company of, let's say, up to 5 million EBITDA, 
the, the, the typical multiple range for that company will be four to six and a half times. Now, this is a generalization. As you get higher EBITDA, over 10, then that range will go up by one or one and a half uh, times at both ends of the range. Now, there's other things that impact the range that are very important. One is the certainty of cash flow, because really an investor is investing in future income, not past income. So the more certain it is that the future income will be the same or grow, then the higher the EBITDA valuation, a multiple valuation, a company will be rewarded. Uh, another another metric that is a little less um, at, it's a little less precise, but it's certainly important is just the general quality of the company. When we go to visit a company, you know, does is there is there really a management team or is it uh, a, still a very uh, hub and spoke type system where you where the entrepreneur or the leader is touching everything? Uh, is it clean? Is it organized? Is there good communication? Are the people happy to to go to work at the company? Are there piles of stuff uh, out in the corners of the warehouse? Is there good reporting uh, and information that we can look at when we sit down with the stakeholders? So all of these things factor into you know, what the actual multiple of EBITDA that will award a company or value a company at. And, and there's some art and there's some science. At the end of the day, though, as I also wrote in my article, a company is worth what what a buyer is willing to pay. What have you seen through the uh, economic recession that we've just been through relative to multiples on EBITDA, companies' performance, and the impact of the economy on their EBITDA? Can you just give us a sense for what you've seen through this recession? Sure. You know, it's been a very interesting and an unusual recession and post-recessionary period. Um, you know, first, I think it's important to recognize that typically building up to recessions is you have some sort of boom period, and, you know, up to 2008 was no exception. And in our industry, in the private equity industry, that boom means that there is lots of leverage available, and a lot of private equity investors will utilize that leverage to pay higher and higher valuations for their companies. Um, we, we don't subscribe to that practice, and if we have time, we can talk more about that. But in general, then, you can accept that if there's an abundance of debt, then valuations for any kind of assets, companies, real estate, will be higher than if the debt is very scarce. So come 2008, um, debt disappeared. And so for a little while, uh, there was no activity, certainly pricing for everything adjusted accordingly. But for, for leverage buyouts and for real estate, for that matter, because we really have a lot of contact in, in both disciplines, uh, what we saw was good assets really were receiving the same sort of valuations Fairly quickly after uh, you know the the um, 2008 uh, collapse, even though we were in a recessionary period, um, the reason why that's anomalous is typically there, it's a much longer period to recover. In this case, our belief is is that there's still so much capital 
not only in private equity firms, but on the balance sheets of corporations that that good assets, uh, particularly assets that were doing well in spite of the difficulties in the economy, were fetching the same sort of valuations that they were pre-recession. Uh, in addition, debt, which usually very slowly comes back into the market, and still, by the way, has been slow to come back into the market for the lower middle market, was very quickly, aggressively chasing bigger transactions, you know, let's say at least 10 million EBITDA, but certainly 20 million EBITDA companies and bigger, to the same level of aggressiveness that they were chasing in pre-2008. So in general today, uh, I'd say valuations overall maybe are slightly lower than they were in 2008. Good companies that have been able to grow through the period are getting rewarded with the same valuations. Companies that have struggled, um, uh, I would say, are not getting the same valuations or interest that they were in 2008, which was a much more frenzied time period. Yes, it was. It seems so long ago, doesn't it? But It sure yeah. does. <laughs> Let me ask you about the role private equity plays in helping smaller firms unlock their true potential and value. Can you share from your perspective the role your firm and firms like yours play? Yeah, thank you. That's a terrific question. Uh, I think private equity, and partially because it has earned it, is not well regarded in the marketplace. Uh, A lot of people have heard about the type of transactions where private equity firms come in and they invest equity and then they do a leverage recap and dividend out all their equity and then you know, displaced workers and bankrupt companies. And I won't say that those deals haven't happened because they have. And unfortunately, those are the ones that often get a lot of press and attention. But the market we're in, and I'm going to say absolutely the other good lower middle market practitioners are really very additive and can be tremendous uh, supporters in creating value and growing these enterprises. Um, in the lower mar- middle market, we don't generate returns through financial engineering. Okay, we don't generate returns through uh, putting a lot of leverage. And I'm going to speak to us, and I'm going to speak when I make this answer to other firms that are disciplined um, investors like us. We generate returns by partnering with our management teams and helping them grow and improve those companies. And one of the reasons we really love what we do and that we have so much passion around the lower middle market is we can do that almost irrespective of business cycles. The sizes of these companies and their nimbleness and their ability to compete enable them to grow and gain market share and or do attractive add-on acquisitions when other companies might be, uh, might be you know, more um, uh, vulnerable to, to those sort of things. Uh, we help those companies do that in tough times. We help them do it in great times, too. So a good private equity firm will be a great partner to management in helping realize potential and growth in a company. That's excellent. Uh, I wonder if you can share a little bit more about what you look for specifically when making a decision to invest in a business? Well, yes. Um, We have four things that we have to have in an investment. 
One is a fair valuation, so we ultimately have to agree to a valuation that both sides are comfortable with. Two, uh, leadership that we can bet on, uh, so which we've spent a lot of time talking about today. But for us, this is an absolute. Uh, a lot of mistakes that, that financial uh, buyers and strategic buyers, for that matter, make is they come in and they replace uh, the existing team and, you know, end up having tremendous trouble and eroding the value of the company, and we just won't do that. Three, there's got to be significant growth and improvement potential. And four, there's got to be a dynamic that is driving the transaction that makes sense. Uh, And it can be a number of things. It could be that they need more working capital. It could be that the owners want to partially diversify their, their assets in that they typically have the majority of their wealth still tied up in their companies. It may be that there's some partners that aren't getting along and, and you know, one wants to be uh, bought out, you know, et cetera. So there's got to be a dynamic that drives the, that's driving the transaction that, that makes sense and that we're comfortable with. So those four criteria we have to have an investment. And then beyond that, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a long list of other things we'd like to see. It's nice to have... Um, companies that are dominant in their niche that actually have businesses and niches that are that are more protected and, and more resilient to business cycles. Uh, we, we typically like uh, business service, outsource services, software, niche manufacturing, um, things that you can scale without big CapEx. So there's a long list of things, of attributes that we like. Um, but none of which we have to have except for those first four. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Hopefully some in our audience, either listening live or in the future as a podcast, go, hey, wait a minute, I've got some of those elements, and we're gonna, I'm going to ask you for how people can find your firm online a little bit later in the interview. But before we get there, I wonder if I can turn you in the direction of kind of introspection. Can you think of a time when you learned a valuable lesson that you carry with you today in business, and it came from what at the time might have felt like a difficult or even a painful experience, Dan? Ah, jeez. I don't know that you have time for uh, me to answer this with all of the ones that come to my mind. Well, I'll, I'll share a couple. Uh, one has to go with changing leadership um, and changing key people in a company. It's always very difficult. And one thing that we've found the hardest changes to make in personnel are ones where they're still hardworking, loyal, good people, where the company has really outgrown their skill set or capability. Um, what we found is hard as those changes to make, that not making them is very detrimental to a company. So no one likes to make uh, changes in personnel, but but what we found, if you make those changes and you treat the people fairly, that at the end of the day, you know, everyone appreciates it, even the person that, that's being changed, and, and the company does better. Uh, you know, if you take a bigger picture, and, and this may or may not make sense, but we think the right way to run a company always is if you're going to sell it in five years. So if you look at any kind of decision, capital investment, personnel, et cetera, and use that as one of your arbitrating criteria, we think that'll help make good decisions. So that's one, uh, one little pearl of wisdom. Another one, and this is one that, uh, to answer an earlier question, 
is one of the ways that we almost always add value is when we make an investment in a company and partner with a management team, we always put them through a strategic planning process. And very few companies in the lower middle market really do a strategic plan. Most of them do a budget. So most of them take the time to to do some guess as to what they're going to do in the coming year. But very few actually take the time and go through the exercise of doing a strategic plan, which is includes a budget. You know, what are we going to do in the next year? But more importantly is what do we want to look like in five years? And it's a much different exercise. We feel it's a very powerful exercise, and we feel that doing that really is one of the keys to unlocking the potential of the company. That is a good discipline to bring to any business, and I echo what you say about many of them not having that level of planning that could really serve them well. Yeah, it's, it's not easy to do. It takes time. You have to take you know, uh, time of your senior team and generally move them off-site. But if, if for us a good plan, and we are always much more substance over form, Mm-hmm. Um, we don't care if it's a plan written on two pages in bullet points or if it's a, a you know a long you know document that's very detailed. What we care about is at the end of that process, two things: one, that we can take everyone involved in the plan and ideally everyone in the company and put them in soundproof rooms and ask them, "Hey, what do you want your company to look like in five years?" And they'll all give you the same answer. Right. And two, that there's quarterly clear goals and the people that are supposed to achieve them so that on a quarter-by-quarter basis we can sit down and say, did we do what we set out to do, and if not, why not? Very good disciplined approach. That's exciting. I wish I had more time with you, Dan, because I'd like to investigate that even more with you. Maybe I can have you back on a future episode of the radio program. Ah, it'd be my pleasure. Uh, I really appreciate the conversation. It's fun to speak with someone that I think is like-minded in how we approach these things. So tell me about the future. Now that you, know, you echoed my belief a little bit that the, rece- the worst of the recession is behind it. I mean, it's kind of patchy, and you know, it's different industries, different segments are seeing different recoveries or levels of recovery. But what, where do you see for Solus Capital Partners, Dan? What's the future look like? Where are the opportunities for growth? We are very excited about the future. Uh, One, we uh, just raised our first committed fund, which was a nice accomplishment for us and and a nice recognition of us as investors. There's not a lot of folks raising first-time committed funds in this market, so um, that'll be. We're actually done with that at the end of this month, so we're excited to have that behind us. Uh, But more importantly, we really like this economy. Uh, for the lower middle market. It's a, it's a slow kind of grinding recovery. It's real. It's not based on inappropriate leverage. And for the type of companies we invest in and for the type of investing that we do, this is really an ideal scenario. Um, what's great is that there's a lot of lower middle market companies, particularly in the western U.S. and particularly in California, um, that have done a nice job of weathering the storm, that are coming back to or exceeding where they were uh, before the recession hit. 
um, that recognize that now might be a good time to at least diversify some of their assets and bring on a good partner or sell their companies. Um, and and we're excited about it. We're seeing a lot more uh, baby boomer business owners really getting serious about doing something with their companies at this time. We're seeing a lot of younger business owners recognizing that they can reach their goals faster if they have a good partner. So we and we like all those scenarios. So we're excited about the future. The lower middle market is is the place we've always been. It's it's where we're always going to be. Uh, but this particular stretch ahead of us, maybe the next seven to ten years, looks like it should be terrific, both as an investor and as a company owner. That's interesting you say that because I believe a slow and steady climb out of this recession is exactly what the economy needs as well. And it's the kind of thing that we won't realize it until we have the benefit of hindsight to look back on some number of years and go, well, we've come a long way, but it you know, it's taken us time, but I do agree with you completely. That is the exact tonic that this economy needs, and and I hope it continues that way. Yeah, we are, we always do a a, a unique holiday card every year, and this year our theme was "Slow and Steady Wins the Race." That's true. <laughs> if someone wanted to learn more about your firm, how do they find Solus Capital Partners online, Dan? They go to solacecapital.com. Uh, how do they spell Solus? S-O-L-I-S. Excellent. C-A-P-I-T-A-L. And uh, reach out to any one of us, uh, myself, Craig, Duper, Josh Harmson. We're always available. We always like to talk about companies. Uh, we give our time away uh, every day to business owners and the professionals that service business owners really with very little expectation of finding an investment. We're hopeful that we will, but more to just continue to help people along the path of, uh, of helping their companies realize their potential and ultimately accomplishing their personal objectives relative to those companies. And even if your company isn't one that even if it, they feel ready for real, realization, we always are happy to, to at least tell them about the process, tell them what they can be doing to maximize their success and, and assisting any way we can. I want to thank you for the time that you've given us here on the radio program today, Dan Lubeck. I want to welcome you to the Critical Mass community, and thanks for being a friend of the radio show. Well, thanks for, uh, for giving me a chance to share our thoughts on this. It was a pleasure, and uh, we wish you guys the best and uh, look forward to uh, hearing your show in the future. And, and if you need us, we're around. Thank you, Dan. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, those were our two guests today here on Critical Mass Radio Show. Our engineer for today's show was Paul Roberts. Our guest coordinator was Kathleen Shepard. Rachel Franzi is our producer, and Kelly Faltis is our marketing communications manager. Until the next time we have a chance to talk, I am Rick Franzi, your host of the Critical Mass Radio Show, saying I hope that all of your decisions move your business in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show right here on OCTalkRadio.net.